email from school about the incident today. Scary. You know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. Yeah, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, anything, you need to tell an adult, someone you know and trust. That can be hard, but speaking up about a problem is what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It will do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. It will do when the world's on fire. And it's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough. It's good enough for me. The Innes Holy Name Ministry is a Catholic mental health ministry based in Dover, New Hampshire. It is a local ministry of Christian faithful called to be a healing presence in the lives of people with mental illness. The In His Holy Name Ministry sees the Christ in those who live with a mental illness. The In His Holy Name Ministry is a ministry of service and presence, like the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. The ministry does not look the other way or walk past those living with a mental illness, but instead welcomes the individual and family members into a spiritual reunion, so often denied them. The In His Holy Name ministry walks with people living with a mental illness to help them find the support and services that they need. The In His Holy Name ministry sees people living with a mental illness as unique individuals who are not defined by their illness. They have much to offer the church and the community because living with an illness gives them unique insights into suffering, humility, compassion, friendship, and love. The In His Holy Name ministry works to eliminate the stigma and discrimination that people living with a mental illness encounter within the church and in human society. To contact the In His Holy Name ministry, look us up on the web at hisholyname.com. Oh, down, come on down. Let's go down, down in the river to pray. There are several women named Mary mentioned in the New Testament. The most commonly known is Mary, the mother of Jesus, who plays a central role in the Gospel's narratives of the Christ's birth and early life. Additionally, Mary Magdalene is often noted as one of the Christ's most devoted disciples, being present at several crucial moments during his ministry, including his crucifixion and resurrection. 
Other notable Marys include Mary of Bethany, sister to Martha and Lazarus. The Lazarus whom Jesus raised from the dead. Mary the wife of Clopas, another follower of the Christ. And Mary the mother of James and John, who may have been one of the Marys present at his crucifixion alongside Mary Magdalene. These various Marys represent a diverse group of women that formed an integral part of Jesus' life and ministry, from familial relationships, to close friendships, and fellow discipleship. Let's take a moment and discuss who each Mary is so we can be a little clearer when finding them mentioned in the Gospels. Mary Magdalene, she was Mary from Magdala, a city in Galilee, located in the northernmost region of ancient Palestine which is now northern Israel, and she is one of the earliest followers of Jesus of Nazareth, Mary Magdalene, as she is known today has been the subject of much speculation and interpretation over the years, she is primarily known for being one of Jesus the Christ's followers, but her exact relationship to him, and her role in his ministry have been subject to debate. Some believe that Mary was actually a former prostitute who was redeemed by Jesus, while others suggest that she may have been a wealthy woman who supported his mission financially, and some have even speculated she was the wife of Jesus as spoken in the Dan Brown novels, over the centuries. Everyone from early church leaders and scholars, to novelists and filmmakers, have amended and expounded on the story of Mary Magdalene, on one hand, they downplayed her significance by claiming she was a prostitute, a ruined woman who repented and then was saved by the Christ's teachings. On the other hand, some early Christian texts depicted Mary Magdalene as not just a mere follower, but Jesus's trusted companion, which some have taken to mean his wife, but is there any truth to any of these accounts, what do we really know about Mary Magdalene? We know all four canonical Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, take note of Mary Magdalene's presence at Jesus's crucifixion, but only the Gospel of Luke discussed her role in Jesus's life and ministry. Listing her among, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, she first appears in the Gospel of Luke as a follower of the Christ from whom seven demons have been cast out. Mary became part of a group of women who traveled with Jesus and his twelve apostles, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The story of Mary Magdalene as a prostitute has held on for centuries, elaborated and passed on, even taught today. After Pope Gregory the Great made it official in his sixth-century sermon, even though neither Orthodox nor Protestant adopted it when those faiths later split from the Catholic Church. It wasn't until 1969 when the Roman Church admitted that the text of the Bible does not support that particular interpretation, as for being Jesus' wife the canonical Bible gives no authority that Mary Magdalene was Jesus's wife or lover. None of the four canonical Gospels suggests such a relationship, though one of the Gnostic Gospels, known as the Gospel of Philip, referred to Mary Magdalene as Jesus's companion and claimed that Jesus loved her more than the other disciples. It also the states that Jesus used to kiss Mary, often on her, blank, damage to the text left the last word unreadable, though some scholars have filled in the missing word as a mouth. But as this is not mainstream biblical teaching, it remains controversial, then there is the Gospel of Mary. A non-canonical text discovered in Egypt back in 1896, and dating from the 2nd century AD, it was found in a 5th century papyrus codex written in Sahidic Coptic, and is a text placing Mary Magdalene above all Jesus's male disciples in both knowledge and influence.
What makes Mary Magdalene particularly interesting is that she seems to have played a crucial role in both the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, as supported by all four canonical Gospels of the New Testament. With some scholars suggesting that since she was the first witness to see him alive after his death, this further supported that Jesus first appeared to his most dedicated of disciples to give her a most important task, let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. The New International Version which describes when Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, quote, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for, thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means, Teacher, dot, Jesus said. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. End quote, think about it, Jesus knew Mary, even though she did not recognize his resurrected persona until he called her by name. And he put the trusted responsibility to gather the apostles, who were in hiding, and if found, possibly also would be also executed, to announce his resurrection, who else would you trust other than your most loyal and trustworthy disciple for such a task? Mary Magdalene is now known by many in the church as the Apostle to the Apostles, the first witness to the resurrection, and the model of a personal encounter with Jesus Christ risen from the grave, while questions about Mary Magdalene's true identity remains unanswered. There can be no doubt that she played an important role in early Christianity and continues to inspire curiosity and fascination today. Today, Mary Magdalene is considered a saint by the Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican and Lutheran churches, with a feast day celebrated on July 22. Mary of Bethany, sister to Martha and Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus shared a special relationship with Jesus as depicted in the Bible, Jesus made several visits to their home during his ministry. And it eventually becomes clear that they were not just acquaintances, but had become friends. The story of this trio symbolizes the importance of hospitality, listening attentively to God's word, and faith in the face of adversity. They represent true followers who prioritize humble service at one's home and maintain a close spiritual relationship with the Christ despite difficulties encountered in life. Mary of Bethany, sister to Martha and Lazarus, was a prominent figure in the New Testament as one of Jesus the Christ's most devoted followers, and yet again another woman, she is said to have lived in Bethany, near Jerusalem, with her siblings and family. She famously sat at Jesus' feet while Martha prepared dinner listening to his teachings validating her commitment to learning from and worshiping him. This is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 39 through 42. Quote, she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, 
Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. End quote. The New International Version Translation When Martha expresses her frustration with Mary for not helping out, Jesus gently scolds her, saying that Mary has chosen the better path by listening intently to him. Mary continued to show her deep love for Jesus by anointing his feet with expensive perfume, which symbolized her willingness to sacrifice everything for him. Though she is not mentioned as frequently as Martha or Lazarus in the Bible, Mary's actions revealed a level of devotion that earned her praise from Jesus himself. Her story demonstrates the importance of faith and selflessness in living a fulfilling spiritual life. Mary the mother of James and John, Mary, the mother of James and John, is referenced several times in the New Testament as another female follower of Jesus, James and John were two brothers who were among the twelve apostles chosen by Jesus the Christ. Their mother, Mary, is commonly referred to as Mary Salome, or simply Salome. She was among the women who witnessed his crucifixion and visited his tomb on Easter morning after Mary Magdalene. While there is not much information about this Mary in the Bible, some scholars believe that she may have been a financially independent woman who supported Jesus' ministry with her resources, her sons, James and John. Were also disciples of Jesus and were known together as the Sons of Thunder, for their strong personalities, Mary is believed to have played a supportive role in her son's ministries, as well as providing financial aid. The story of Mary requesting that her sons be given a place next to Jesus in heaven has led to discussions about ambition and humility in Christianity. The story of Mary Salami's request for her sons to sit on the right and left hand of Jesus in heaven is one that has been the subject of much scholarly interpretation. The Gospel of Matthew recounts how Mary approached Jesus with this request, asking that her sons James and John be granted positions of honor in his coming kingdom. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. New International Version, A Mother's Request, quote, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him, What is it you want? He asked, she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. End quote. In the Gospel of Matthew, Mary, the mother of James and John, approached Jesus and asked if her sons could sit on his right and left side in heaven. This passage underlines Mary's ambition for her sons, but also brings to light the human tendency to strive for power and status. Jesus responds by acknowledging that this request was not something he could guarantee or grant. As it was ultimately up to God the Father, furthermore, 
He reminds his disciples that true greatness is not found through power or position, but rather through service and selflessness towards others. This passage serves as a lesson in humility and points towards a deeper understanding of what it means to be truly great in the eyes of God. While some scholars have interpreted this as an indication of Mary's misguided ambition or desire for power, others argue that her request was born out of a deep faith and devotion to Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus responds by affirming the importance of service over status, explaining that those who wish to be great must first become servants. This story thus serves as a powerful reminder of the centrality of humility and selflessness in Christian discipleship. Mary the mother of James and John, remained a faithful disciple after Jesus' death and continued to support the early Christian community, overall. James and John's devotion to Jesus and their mother's support reinforces the importance of family relationships within faith communities, despite limited information about her life, Mary's faithfulness serves as an example for all Christians today. Mary the wife of Clopas, Mary the wife of Clopas, is mentioned in the canonical Gospels of Luke and John, and is a central figure in early Christian history, though not much is known about her life prior to meeting Jesus. She is recorded as being one of the women who witnessed his crucifixion and was one of the women who brought supplies for burial, in Luke chapter 24, verse 10, Joanna is mentioned by name, along with Mary Magdalene and Mary of Clopas. As among the women who took spices to Jesus' tomb and found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, quote, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. End quote, Luke chapter 24, verse 10. As to who Clopas is remains as clear as mud, Clopas himself is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke and is one of two travelers who meets him after his resurrection the Emmaus Road, this is the only mention of Clopas in the New Testament, we know nothing more about him or his companion. Clopas is not an apostle but considered, one of the rest, a band of Christ's more regular follows, in short God is preventing them from seeing what would otherwise be obvious when they first met, but as the story continues their eyes are opened and they realize that it is Jesus whom they have met. And once they did they traveled on to the apostles to share the news with them, the expression Mary of Clopas in the Greek text is ambiguous as to whether Mary was the daughter or wife of Clopas, Clopas appears in early Christian writings as a brother of Joseph. The legal and earthly father of Jesus, and as the father of Simeon, the second bishop of Jerusalem, Clopas was sometimes further identified with Cleopa and Alphaeus, father of James, one of the twelve apostles, in 1982, Stephen S. Smalley, Dean Emeritus of Chester Cathedral. Deemed this identification probable, in medieval tradition, Clopas was identified as the second husband of Saint Anne and as the father of Mary of Clopas, allowing this Mary to be identified as the half-sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jerome, commonly known as Saint Jerome. Also known as Jerome of Striden, was a Christian priest, confessor, theologian, and historian who lived between 347 and 420 AD, in his writing, Against Helvidius, in the defense of the perpetual virginity of the mother of Jesus, he argued that the brothers of Jesus, James, Simon, Jude, and Joseph were the children of Mary of Clopas, the sister of the mother of Jesus, making them first cousins of Jesus and not direct siblings. Jerome also identified James, the brother of Jesus, with the apostle James, son of Alphaeus, aka James the Less. 
and thus suppose that Mary of Clopas was married to Alpheus Clopas, and James Tabor, a 20th-century biblical scholar and professor of ancient Judaism and early Christianity in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Deduced that, Mary the mother of James and John, is none other than Mary, the mother of Jesus herself, this interpretation would necessitate that Mary the mother of Jesus married a man named Clopas, after her marriage to Joseph, assumed after his death. Tabor proposes that a brother of Joseph would have been obliged to wed his widowed wife in a Levirate marriage, despite this only being permissible if the first marriage had been childless. If the resting conclusion stands that Mary the wife of Clopas is the same as Mary the mother of James the Less, Simon, Judas and John, as well as Clopas' wife, this indicates that the term, brothers of Jesus stood for cousins rather than siblings, as I said earlier, who Clopas is. Is as clear as mud, what we can say for certainty is that Mary of Clopas is explicitly mentioned only in John chapter 19, verse 25, quote, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. End quote. New International Version Translation Regardless to the historical identification of this Mary, it's her unwavering devotion to Jesus and her willingness to follow him even in his darkest hours that has inspired countless believers throughout history. Her presence at pivotal moments in Christ's ministry exemplifies the important role that women played in performing acts of service and spreading the message of Christianity during its earliest days. Mary, Mother of God the title and concept of Mary, Mother of God is a central tenet of Christian theology, emphasizing the belief that Jesus the Christ was both fully divine and fully human. This doctrine is known as the hypostatic union and represents the idea that two distinct natures, one divine and one human, were united in the person of Jesus. By extension, Mary is considered to be the Mother of God because she gave birth to Jesus' human nature. The concept of Mary's role in salvation history has been a topic of debate among theologians throughout history but remains significant for many Christians around the world today, as such. Mary serves as an important symbol not only for her own religious significance but also as a reminder of Christ's humanity and divinity, but what do we actually know about this Mary, what is supported biblically, and what other sources are drawn from in our Catholic tradition? Before we go any farther, let us clarify that the Catholic Church does not worship Mary. Rather, she is venerated and revered as the mother of Jesus, the Christ, who is central to Catholic faith and doctrine. Catholics believe that Mary played a crucial role in the divine plan for salvation by saying yes to God's call to become the mother of Jesus, she is regarded with high esteem due to her closeness with the Christ as his mother and her exemplary life devoted to serving God. The Catholic Church's teachings place immense importance on praying for intercession through saints, including Mary, requesting them to pray on their behalf before God, however, this practice does not constitute worship since Catholics regard worship as reserved only for the Holy Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thus, while the devotion given towards Mary may appear significant at times, it falls short of worshipping her in any way, when we pray for the intercession of a saint. It's no different than asking for a friend to say a prayer for us. Now that we've addressed this, who is this Mary? According to Catholic dogma, Mary was conceived without sin, an event known as the Immaculate Conception. The concept of being conceived without sin refers to the belief that Mary, the mother of Jesus the Christ, 
was born without original sin due to a special grace from God, this belief is known as the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception and is held by the Catholic Church, it is believed that Mary's soul was infused with sanctifying grace at her conception. Ensuring she would not inherit the original sin passed down from Adam and Eve, this belief has been formalized by the Church since 1854 when Pope Pius IX declared it as a dogma and has been a point of controversy among Christian denominations since its inception, however. It wasn't until the 19th century that Pope Pius IX declared the Immaculate Conception as official dogma. This declaration has since been embraced by millions of Catholics worldwide who honor and venerate Mary for her devotion to God and for being the pure vessel through which His Son was delivered into the world. The significance of this doctrine lies in Mary's role as a vessel chosen by God to bear Jesus, who would go on to redeem humanity from their sins. It's essential to note that this dogma does not imply that Mary needed no redemption, but rather emphasizes her role as the vessel for Jesus the Christ's birth and her unique status as an intercessor between humanity and God, hence. Catholics acknowledge Mary's virginal conception as a manifestation of God's plan towards salvation for man, therefore, Mary's Immaculate Conception is significant both in Catholicism and Christianity at large due to its association with the Christ's divinity and human nature. Also known as the Virgin Mary let's understand what virgin means at this time, the term virgin in this context refers to the belief that Mary conceived and gave birth to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit while remaining a virgin. This doctrine is known as the virgin birth or immaculate conception and is a core tenet of Catholicism and other Christian denominations, however, the use of the term virgin has been subjected to ongoing debates. With some scholars arguing that it may have been mistranslated from its original Hebrew meaning, which referred to a young woman of marriageable age, the term virginal, when associated with the Virgin Mary, refers to her status as a maiden who had never engaged in sexual activity. In the biblical context, virginity was highly valued and regarded as a symbol of purity and innocence, however one chooses to define virgin, the fact remains that before becoming the mother of Jesus, Mary would have been betrothed, meaning in today's terms engaged, in a Jewish marriage. The first phase of Jewish marriage was the betrothal or engagement ceremony, during which time the couple were considered legally married but lived separately for around 12 months. The female was considered a maiden which is often translated to virgin, after this period. The marriage was formalized with a public ceremony and consummation, during this second phase, the couple became fully married in both legal and social terms, as Mary's story goes, she was visited by an angel who informed her that she would conceive a child despite never having been with a man. This event took place during her betrothal period but before the consummation of her marriage with Joseph. In essence, Mary's status as a virgin who conceived through divine intervention makes her story unique and significant within both Jewish and Christian traditions, nevertheless. For Christians worldwide, Mary's role as a virgin mother is considered an essential aspect of her divine status and reinforces her unique relationship with God. The importance attached to Mary's virginity serves not only as evidence of Jesus' divine nature but also reflects upon how holiness can be associated with purity. The Catholic Church also emphasizes the concept of perpetual virginity, which holds that Mary remained a virgin throughout her life. This belief has been interpreted in various ways throughout Christian history, 
some view it as a spiritual commitment while others insist on its literal interpretation. The notion of Mary's virginal status also ties into complex theological debates surrounding the nature of the Christ's conception. As well as broader discussions about gender roles and sexuality within Christianity, overall, the concept of Mary's virginity remains an essential aspect of Marian devotion, both in terms of religious practice and theological reflection. How old was Mary when she gave birth to Jesus? Based on historical and biblical records, the exact age of Mary when she conceived Jesus is not explicitly stated, however, theologians and scholars generally agree that she was likely between the ages of 12 and 14 at the time of her pregnancy. This was a common age for girls to be betrothed and married in first-century Jewish culture. Additionally, Mary's willingness to accept her role as the mother of Jesus at such a young age speaks to her great faith and maturity beyond her years. This may be difficult for some to imagine if we have watched movies over the last century when the pregnant Mary is played by actress in their twenties and thirties, now did Mary have any other children? The question of whether Mary had any other children besides Jesus is one that has been debated by scholars and theologians for centuries, while some sources indicate that Mary did indeed have other children, the majority of biblical evidence suggests otherwise. The Gospel of Matthew mentions brothers and sisters of Jesus, but it is important to note that these terms were likely used in a broader sense to refer to close relatives or disciples other than blood siblings. The Catholic Church traditionally teaches that Mary remained a virgin throughout her life and that any references to brothers and sisters in the New Testament actually mean extended relatives or spiritual kin, on the other hand. Protestants generally interpret these passages more literally and postulate that Mary did have other children. Ultimately, there is no definitive answer to this question as it remains open to interpretation and individual beliefs based on one's religious tradition. There are four dogmas stating Mary's personal relationship with God and her role in human salvation which are central to Catholic theology and tradition. These dogmas include her perpetual virginity, the Immaculate Conception, her divine motherhood, and her assumption into heaven. The belief in Mary's perpetual virginity holds that she remained a virgin throughout her life, even during the birth of Jesus Christ. The Immaculate Conception asserts that Mary was conceived without original sin, while her divine motherhood affirms that she is the mother of God, and not just the mother of Jesus as a human being. And finally, the dogma of Mary's assumption states that she was taken into heaven at the end of her earthly life full-bodied. The doctrine of Mary's assumption into heaven is a firmly held belief in both the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches. This belief is based on various traditions, writings, and theological interpretations dating back to the early church fathers, theologically speaking. This doctrine emphasizes the sacredness and dignity of human bodies, which will eventually be raised up from the dead on Judgment Day. This belief not only affects spiritual practices such as prayer and devotion, but also inspires art and literature throughout Christian history. The Catholic Church formally declared this doctrine in 1950 defined by Pope Pius XII, acknowledging it as part of the deposit of faith entrusted to the Church by the Christ. The assumption is seen as a sign of hope for all Christians that they too may share an eternal life with God. This belief has also led to the veneration of Mary and her importance within Christian doctrine and spirituality, while there may be debate among different Christian denominations about this doctrine. 
Those who believe in it view it as another example of God's love for humanity manifested through his relationship with Mary. These four dogmas highlight Mary's unique role as the mother of God and serve to deepening our understanding of Catholic beliefs regarding salvation history and our relationship with God through Marian devotion. How old was Mary when she died or assumed into heaven, unfortunately? There is no definitive answer to the question of how old Mary was when she died, this is because there is no concrete historical evidence to support a specific age or year of her passing. The Bible offers no specific information on this matter. And there are many competing theories among scholars and theologians. Some believe that Mary was in her late 50s or early 60s at the time of her death, while others suggest that she lived well into her 70s or even 80s. Popular belief holds that Mary passed away in Jerusalem or Ephesus, Turkey. There are various historical documents and traditions that aim to shed light on this issue. For example, some Byzantine-era texts claim that Mary was around 72 or 73 when she passed away, ultimately, however. It is impossible to say with certainty what age Mary reached before her death due to the lack of reliable documentation about her life outside of religious texts. One commonly held belief is that she lived to the age of 72 before she was assumed into heaven, following her death. This belief is based on the experiences of several saints who claim to have received visions or divine revelations affirming her lifespan, however, it's worth noting that this assertion doesn't come from any official Catholic teaching or doctrine, rather, it has been passed down as a tradition within certain religious communities for centuries, nevertheless, regardless of how old she actually was when she died. Mary remains an important figure in Catholicism as the woman who gave birth to Jesus and played a significant role in his life and ministry. And it's not just the Christian faith that recognizes this Mary. Mary, otherwise known as Miriam to Muslims, has a high and noble standing in Islam. Her elevated status is in fact explicitly mentioned in the Quran and also described in the authentic narrations of the Prophet Muhammad. The Prophet had in fact listed her as one of the four greatest women of all time who had reached perfection. In fact, there is an entire chapter named after her in the Quran. Her name is the centerpoint of the 19th chapter of the Quran, Surat Maryam. Maryam is mentioned 34 times in the Quran, more than in the New Testament. In fact, Mary is the only woman referred by her first name in the Quran. This is an honorable status granted by the Quran only to few mostly to the prophets, messengers, and angels. The Quran tells of Maryam as incredibly chaste, pious, and modest. The Quran also states that she experienced many miracles. Quote, Every time Zechariah entered upon her in the prayer chamber, he found with her provision, he said, O oh Mary, from where is this coming to you? She said, It is from Allah, indeed, Allah provides, for whom he wills without account. End quote. Quran chapter 3, verse 37. In the interpretation of this verse, scholars say that every time Zachariah would visit her, he would miraculously find her with the fruits of summer during winter and the fruits of winter during summer. The Quran actually sheds light on the story of Maryam prior to her birth, whereby we learn of her mother's supplication for a righteous child. They believe that she gave birth to Jesus, despite being a virgin. The Muslims believe that Maryam lived on to dedicate her life to worshipping Allah, the Arabic word for our God. Her immense piety is in fact reiterated in the Quran on multiple occasions. She was chosen by Allah above all women. 
These are just an illustration of some of the important qualities and qualities of Mary the mother of Jesus as found in the Quran. Isn't it just marvelous how Maryam is revered by both Catholics and Muslims alike, how heartwarming it is to see two religions, with vastly different beliefs and practices, coming together to mutually worship a historical figure, if we can do this. Maybe we can start a dialogue and get along with one another, over the centuries, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has been given a multitude of titles within Christian tradition. Each title represents a distinct aspect of her role as both a mother figure and as an intercessor between humanity and God, she is often seen as the model of maternal love and devotion for Christians around the world. Many have come to see Mary's veneration not only as a way of showing respect for her unique position, but also as an expression of gratitude toward her son, Jesus the Christ. The Catholic Church has officially recognized many different titles for Mary over time, each emphasizing her holiness and spiritual significance in different ways. Despite this diversity in approach to honoring Mary, one thing is certain, she remains an enduring symbol of faith and hope for countless believers worldwide. So, we come to the end. We discussed the four Marys who were represented in the New Testament. These women played significant roles in Jesus' ministry and life, and are remembered as faithful witnesses to history-changing events. The way their stories intertwine makes for a satisfying conclusion to journey through the Gospels. However, it's difficult not to feel the weight of their experiences, their bravery walking with the Christ despite persecution, their grief at his death, and joy when they discovered he had risen from the dead. It's impossible not to sense how much love each of these women had for the Christ, even though he wasn't always understood or appreciated by those around him. Our final comment serves as a reminder of how short life is and that we all have a part to play in God's larger plan. To learn more about the Independent Catholic Church of the Americas and the In His Holy Name ministry, look us up on the web at His Holy Name, one word, dot, Yolosite, one word, dot com. This is Father Chris, reminding each of us to act justly, love with mercy, and walk humbly with God. We are a warm and inviting independent Catholic community that welcomes everyone with open arms and open hearts. We are not associated with the Roman Catholic Church. Come experience the love and support of our community and find your spiritual home. Whether you've been hurt by the church in the past or felt rejected by the church, the Independent Catholic Church of the Americas is socially liberal while being liturgically conservative. Visit us online or in person this Sunday and become a part of our church family. children it was good for the hebrew children it was good for the hebrew children and it's good enough for me give me that old time religion give me that old time religion 
to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how, and we tell them, with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids need to know the dangers and how to avoid them. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids, because when you talk, they hear you. 